But that refers to this model that I've been learning about um, over at the School of Social Work called the Ecological Model of Development. And I think we have a slide for that. Very complicated. Nice work. Um, this model, strangely, has been helping me think through exactly what feels sort of difficult and overwhelming about finding a starting place for the practice of reconciliation. So everyone's looking at this. Basically, what the ecological model shows us is that every person, every individual in the world is embedded in these layers of systems that sort of build on and affect each other. So in the middle, there's um, the micro, which is like the person, um, their inner world, their family, their friends, and then you go to the meso, which is like the neighborhood, structures around them. And then you get up to the macro, these like local structures, policies, and then the exo, which is like cultural norms, the things that sort of hold all of that in place. And pretty soon it looks like this, and every person is in an endless, complicated web of just like what makes up their world. And what this means, when I look at it, is sort of everything is affected by everything. Uh, <laughs> so like, think about this thing, okay? I'm over here in the micro, right? And I'm just trying to be a good friend to someone, which is hard because there is no uncomplicated friendship. So I'm buying this person a cup of coffee, which is awesome. But bad news is that coffee most likely is supporting policies somewhere that disenfranchise workers somewhere. And even if it's not that, it's definitely going to be reinforcing some consumeristic mindset of competition and scarcity that in the end is going to harm that friend that I so care about by turning that person into um, like a mindless money human, you know? So there's just like no way to live without harming. And this model is just one way of saying that what is broken does not have an easy fix. There's no really uncomplicated anything. And when I look at the world right now, I cannot help but think that brokenness and injustice, power disparities, racism, and hatred are being laid out on all of these levels every day. So, this week, in the face of and in the midst of all of that, I, I just want us, I need to remember the story of Jesus. We talked for a while last week about how God created the whole earth, the whole cosmos, as God's temple. But then, in the chaos of human rebellion, uh, there was a desecration of that space and that purpose. And since then, we've been experiencing God in these, we talked about ad hoc temples, the tabernacle, these square inches of God's presence sort of pressing their way into reality and beginning to permeate these boundaries of hopelessness. And what is amazing is that God, even before the people of Israel realized it, started through them actually drawing all of creation back to God's self through this one people. I love the, the prophet Hosea says, the more they were called, the more they went away. Yet it was I who taught Ephraim how to walk. I, I took them up by their arms 
They didn't know that it was I that healed them. I led them with cords of kindness and with bands of love. Okay, and then fast forward years and years of longing later, and with the miracle of the incarnation, God's presence came to us in human form and made a home with humans. And Jesus didn't stop there. He announced the coming of the kingdom of God. And he didn't stop there. Paul writes, in him all, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him, God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. God was pleased to reconcile all things, whether on heaven, whether in heaven or on earth, whether micro or macro, to God's self by making peace through the blood of Christ. Chris said last week that what reconciliation looks like is Jesus on the cross saying, Father, forgive them. One theologian says when God sets out to embrace the enemy, the result is the cross. Christ's work in becoming with creation so as to forgive us is the foundation. That's the core. That's the starting and the ending place of any sort of ministry of reconciliation that we could ever participate in. Okay. As I keep thinking about this, this um, I think about Christ's reconciliation of all of creation to God. I have this incredibly strange mental image that I can't shake, so I'm going to tell you about it. Um, I keep thinking about a box, like a big wooden box with like creaky hinges and a big lock on it. Um, and this box, this is so weird. So this box is actually floating in space, okay? And it's not just floating in space, it's floating inside of a giant unending sunbeam. Yeah, we have a drawing for you. And we this for you guys. So box floating in space inside of a giant unending sunbeam. Right? So inside the box, like from the inside of this box, imagine with me that it is very, very dark. And any light that comes through one of the little cracks in the box is going to look really fragile. It's going to look like a little candle that could just be blown out at any moment. But if you were inside of this box and you were longing for light, and someone were to tell you, hey, just to let you know the cracks of light coming through into this box, they're actually not fragile or weak. But what they are is representative of what all the rest of reality and time, everything is made of. All of what is outside of there is this unending light. That, that would change everything for you. So I realize this is a weird image, but I just, I don't know how else to sort of think about, to picture how these sort of trembling rays of reconciliation that are seeping in, how those are indicative of 
of work that is already done, being done, enacted, happening. God is reconciling all things to God's self in Christ. It is just a matter of time until that box like busts open and the deep peace that we are actually suspended in becomes clear to us. Um, and this image is helping me think about even that ecological model, that sort of tangled web of human conflict that feels confusing and hard. Like imagine all of those concentric circles just fitting right inside of that box. And it is dark in there and it is confusing um, and hard. But we already see how God in Christ is reconciling all things. So this is where our text comes in today, this announcement from Paul that if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old has passed away and the power of brokenness over each and every interaction is just gone. And that doesn't mean that it's not very complicated, but what it does mean is that all of it is being like bent forward towards submission to Christ's loving presence. Paul says Christ reconciles us to himself. Christ let us in on the secret and made us participants in the work of reconciling all things. So we actually, we get to sort of get on our hands and knees inside this box and claw at the cracks where we see the light coming through. We want to make those cracks bigger. We want to let more light in. And we get to be ambassadors of that reconciliation. So we get to be the ones entrusted with whispering into others' ears, hey, look, see, feel what God is already doing. And I love the grammar of this Second Corinthians text because Paul, um, I can't tell if Paul is confused or I am confused <laughs> with who is talking to whom. Um, Paul writes, Christ gave us this ministry, and that, that us, I think, like when I read it, I think us is the church, big us. So like, Paul gives us this ministry of taking, um, that we take to the world, because Christ is entrusting us with the message that the whole world is being reconciled. Then Paul says, we are ambassadors for Christ. Christ is making an appeal through us. So you, whoever's reading this letter, church in Corinth, maybe I think me or us this morning, you be reconciled to God. It's kind of a weird flip. Um, and when I, when I first read this verse this way, it felt sort of jarring, like when someone sees you and asks you if you're tired and you're not. <laughs> you're like, wait, Maybe I am? Do I, do I look tired? When Paul says, we implore you, be reconciled to God, I'm like, hang on, I am reconciled. But it, it catches me, and it makes me think again that maybe reconciliation with God is always going to be the foundation and the first practice of being reconcilers in the world. 
like we don't ever really get to leave that behind. We don't ever get to like level up and out from needing Christ's loving forgiveness. Instead, we get to sort of like constantly circle back to the voices in our lives saying, be reconciled to God. Be in relationship with Christ. Receive forgiveness. Even as we begin to live into being ambassadors, ministers, peacemakers. That's, that's our home base. Be reconciled. And for me, it is good to be reminded that the starting place, even before we can whisper words of reconciliation, is Christ's forgiveness of me and of us. I think so often, instead of living to enact reconciliation, I choose to live to avoid conflict. Because I think it's better or easier um, just to like grit my teeth and try and be perfect. So I just batten down the hatches and like try and run this morally watertight ship where I just don't hurt anyone. But what that ends up looking like for me, because I am a human and I'm entangled in friendships and relationships and dependency, that ends up looking like me just pushing away anyone or anything who is different um, than me, or anyone or anything that I might learn something from, or who might um, challenge me or teach me something new. Y'all know um, that verse in Romans, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Um, sometimes I treat that verse like a line in the sand where I'm like, well, that's as much as it depends on me. <laughs> so now I'm justified in whatever I do. I think sometimes I, I feel convicted that it is easier to live for my own justification than it is to fling wide the gates and sort of throw myself on Christ's mercy. But in doing so, I miss out on the work of reconciliation because I'm, I'm too busy being afraid of being wrong. I love um, John Steinbeck's words from Lisa Eden. Now that you don't have to be perfect, you can be good. I think this is what Jesus does for us. Jesus makes us free. Free first to go to others, to disagree, to learn to submit and to ask for forgiveness. Only in the freedom that Christ brings can we be the ones who go to whisper to the world that Jesus is reconciling all things to himself and that the light coming through the cracks is deeper than the darkness. So then I wonder if the, the starting and the ending place is Christ's reconciliation of all creation to God. Um, what does this mean for us in the day-to-day, -day, in these embedded systems of broken things? I have been thinking a lot lately about the ways that our lives sort of push and pull against each other's lives and the very real hurts of being a human among other humans. Um, and what it makes me keep thinking of, actually, is my elementary school geology class and um, plate tectonics. Does anyone remember plate tectonics? 
Yeah, so the Earth is basically divided up into these giant segments called tectonic plates that usually interact with each other in one of three ways, and they, they cause like earthquakes and volcanoes, other strange things. And these three types of interactions strangely, I think, map onto three tendencies that I think keep us, that I know keep me sometimes from moving out of my own reconciliation with God into practicing reconciliation with others. So first, what we've got up here is a divergent boundary. So this one, what's happening is these are being pulled apart. They're pulling away. There's this force that is creating a greater and greater rift. And this, in my mind, is uh, this is what the power of shame looks like. So shame, I think, can be very, very ugly. Just this last week, I was sitting with someone as she expressed um, to me that I had hurt her. And instead of focusing on the incredible courage that it must have taken for her to approach me or earnestly listening to try and understand what I had done, I kid you not, the only thought in my mind was, Laser eyes. Laser eyes? Shoot her with your laser eyes. <laughs> and that is because I was ashamed. I didn't think that forgiveness was a real option for me. I felt my self-justification sort of slipping away. And this pulled us apart, pulled away an option for reconciliation. Um, but thanks be to God, that the laser eyes voice is not the only voice in my head, <laughs> and that the Holy Spirit is somewhere up there too, reminding me that in Christ, we can run towards forgiveness. We can beg for forgiveness. I love the parable of the persistent widow. Do y'all remember this one? This woman is given what she asks for from a judge merely because she is so annoying and persistent. Because she knows mercy is a possibility and she is not going to leave without it. I just, I wonder what would happen if the starting place for being ambassadors of Christ's reconciliation was claiming our own forgiveness as the basis by which we go to one another, one-to-one, one, and fearlessly say, hey, I'm sorry, and I'm embarrassed. Or, hey, I'm hurt, and I'm embarrassed. Or even, I don't know what is wrong between us, but we are forgiven under the same sign of love, and so we don't get to allow shame and defensiveness to pull us apart. I think the opposite of shame is courage. Matthew 18 says that the first step when a brother sins against you is to go. Go to that brother or sister. And this is the hard part. I don't think we get to go with like a thought-out word trap for how we can prove that we are right. Instead, I wonder what would happen if we went with like open hands and just said, hey, what is going on? At the, at the macro, at the big level, shame, I think, stops us 
from asking the questions that need to be asked to people who are suffering, to the marginalized. Hey, how have you been hurt? What do you want to see happen? I just listened to a lawyer describe the policies that keep poverty high in North Carolina as a conspiracy of silence, is what he said. Because no one is willing to ask the questions that would receive an answer that might force them to change. A closely related tectonic plate move is this next one. This is um, convergent boundaries where one plate sort of hits against the other one and one is pushed down under the earth. And this, to me, is what a tendency towards blame looks like. So we've got shame and then blame. Brene Brown says that blame has actually an inverse relationship with accountability. So it acts as sort of the simple, gross, discharge of anger and pain, but it pushes us away from true, true vulnerability. Blame, I think, is when hurt happens, and instead of seeing that pain as an opportunity for Christ's light to illuminate difference, to prompt us to delve and seek and ask, we instead find a way to push past the problem and to push it down at the expense of whoever or whatever becomes our scapegoat. Blame is when I when I know I hurt someone, but I somehow make it their fault. Because I don't want to go to them and admit that I don't have a perfect record of not hurting others. I think <coughs> blame happens at the societal level when we characterize others falsely. When we move quickly from our own areas of hurt to defending our privilege or when we use our woundedness as fodder for more violence. But in the same way that Christ models the courage to seek forgiveness, to, to push aside shame and to bring our grievances to one another, so Christ also teaches us submission, humility, how to put aside blame and instead seek true peace. We just, we just walked through Philippians, and I hear this echo of Philippians too. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being the very nature of God, did not consider the quality of God something to be grasped. He made himself nothing. It's through this submission that the, the truth about Jesus is told, is revealed. Jesus Christ was Lord, not because he grasped that position, but because he submitted to be a servant. I think that when we submit to one another, when we invite sort of true vulnerability, we put a stick in the spoke of the wheel of blaming. We create like a space where truth can then be told. We open up a space for accountability and for healing. And the, the final type of tectonic <coughs> movement for rhyming's sake, I'm calling this one game or games. But I'm thinking here of sort of the multitude of ways that um, we use power to keep ourselves sort of justified in our own minds, but actually hold ourselves away from true reconciliation. So these plates are moving past each other, 
like this to transform boundary. And this to me is one of the saddest things that I know that I do. Um, I feel like sometimes when I'm running out of energy or grace, I will make up justification in my mind for why I no longer need to pursue reconciliation. I sometimes forget, I think we forget that we are brought to peace only through Christ and therefore I have nothing to prove, nothing to lose. This is where I start telling myself a story about an individual system or group that allows me to sort of just move silently on past him or her. But Christ, who is I think the divine stopper of tectonic plates models for us the hard and beautiful task of empathy and love that can break through the power games that we get trapped in. I have one professor at the School of Social Work that says, if you can't find empathy for someone, you should go digging around in the context. Go digging around in that person's story. So to to sit with another person, to share space or food or time. I think it forces us away from labels and towards particularity. And it sort of inconveniently opens us up to being changed. Um, not convinced, but changed. I think Jesus is always doing this. Jesus is always in his ministry searching in the context, giving the story. A woman gives only two small coins to the temple treasury. Are you kidding me? But Jesus says, no, no, no. She has given more than anyone else because what you don't know about her is that's all she had. Or another woman breaks an expensive jar of perfume all over Jesus' feet. Are you serious? And the disciples are angry because the story that they're living in is the daily struggle to feed people to help the needy, which is valid, but Jesus instead asks that they listen to the story of this woman, that they pay attention to her context, and her context is that she knows that Jesus is the savior of the universe and is here in the flesh for a short time. So Jesus reminds the disciples of this other story, asks them to step in with her and be moved by the excess and the beauty of this woman's actions. So in each of these movements, each of these sort of stubborn patterns of pride and fear that we can get caught in, it helps me to remember that Christ is not only an example, not only a teacher, not only teaching us how to be courageous, how to be humble, how to have um, what Ellen Davis calls a white hot imagination for other people's stories, Christ is all of that, but Christ is also just with us. We are first reconciled, first just to learn to be reconciled, and then from that freedom and from that love, we are given this task to find and to name the light of reconciliation wherever we see it. So the last promised section of my very lofty title is Hydrology. In the, the middle of last week, my mom called me, and we were talking about how difficult 
it is to face what feels like endless need and relentless complication with what feels like sort of limited stores of hope. And how hope can sometimes feel pretty um, foolish and fragile these days. And she asks me, as she does from time to time, hey, have you read Revelation 22 recently? And I'm like, no, Mom, not that recently. And she reminds me that in Revelation 22, there is a river flowing through the middle of a city. And I think she was mostly excited about the idea of there being whitewater rafting in heaven. <laughs> but we, we started, we talked about this last week, how in Psalm 46, there's also, there's this river flowing through the city and it indicates um, God's healing presence amongst the tumultuous nations, amongst these nations embroiled in war. So I'm with my mom on the phone, and we sort of went back and forth, recite, help each other through the rest of Revelation 22. So I'm like, hey, mom, now I'm crying. <laughs> and what is beautiful to me about this vision that we receive of New heaven, new earth, Revelation 21, 22. Is that these nations that were in uproar, they're not just like cast out of the New Jerusalem. They're not just silenced or pushed aside. Instead, the gates of this city, this new city, are always open. There's no, there's no fear here. And these nations walk into this city by this light, there's this huge beam of light. This endless beam coming from the Lord God Almighty and from the land. It says that there's no need of the sun and the moon. And there's no temple there because the presence of God is fully there. And all the kings of the earth who used to war with each other, now they bring their glory into the city. They bring their honor and they bring their disparate, different gifts. And they sound, the sound of this in my mind is like how the church could sound. This sort of um, tumultuous cacophony of people who are really different from each other, learning how to laugh in other languages. And in the midst of all of this, there is this river of water of life and it is bright as crystal and it is flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the streets of this city. And on either side of this river is a tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, producing its fruit each month. And the text says that the leaves of this tree are for the healing of the nations, for peace. And that vision, that's our, that's our reality. That's going to be forever and ever. And this is what we, ambassadors, ministers of Christ's reconciliation, get to go out into the world and bear witness to. Will you all pray with me?
work on who taught us how to walk towards you before we even knew it. Continue to teach us to um, see the work that you are doing to bring peace, to reconcile all creation to yourself. Give us the words to whisper with and to cling with hope. Grant us courage and humility and empathy. And in everything, um, we just ask that you would make us more like Christ. In your name, amen.